I want to share with you God's word. And if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14 to 20. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14 to 20. If you're there, I would like to read this passage for you. It says like this, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Verse 17, open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy Arameans at Afik. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now mobile traders used to enter the country every spring. Shall we bow down our heads in prayer? Father, even as we meditate on your word, speak to us, strengthen us, make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we read about the king called Jehoash, who consult consulted the prophet Elisha. Right? Now we know who Elisha is. Elisha, the great prophet, the one who came after Elijah. He was with Elisha, sorry, he was with Elijah, and Elijah was taken up to heaven. But Elisha here continues the prophetic ministry, and now Elisha is at the end of his life. Now, if you look at this story, it seems like everything is normal at the beginning, right? Elisha is saying, the Lord's hand of victory, the God is going to give you victory. You will completely destroy the Arameans. But a little later, you see the same man who gave the prophetic word is angry with the king saying, you should have struck the ground five or six times. As we, as we go through this passage, we will, sometimes it may seem a little confusing. What's happening here? Because first time the message is, you will completely destroy, but the second time, you will only destroy three times. I'm going to go through this passage and share some insights with you. And as I share, I encourage you to listen, pay attention. And one of the best things you can do when you're in church is, Take notes. Now you may say, well, pastor, my mind is so clear, so sharp that I've got everything here. You know, I've, I've said that to myself many times, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So I encourage you to uh, pay attention and take notes because as you take notes, you'll be able to engage, engage better. So let's look at this story. So we see Elisha at the end of his life, about to kick the bucket, about to go over to heaven. He was a prophet, a great man of God. The Bible says that after his death, you know, someone threw a dead man on Elisha's tomb. And what happened? That man came to life. So he was a prophet who was highly respected, highly revered. 
he was so revered that the kings would come to see him now that is how it worked back in the day the kings would listen to the prophets and the priests so when the king comes to see elisha he quotes the same word that elisha quoted when elijah was being taken to heaven so if you go to verse 14 he says like this the chariots and the horsemen of israel now he quotes the exact word elisha said when elijah was being taken to heaven now we don't know for what reason he quoted the same thing but we can be sure of one thing that jehoash the king was concerned that elisha was going to pass away soon now if you look at this king jehoash he wasn't a good or a very bad king he was somewhere right in the middle and being right in the middle is always a dangerous place to be he was a man who was young and his heart had not hardened like the other kings which means he is still open to the work of the lord and that is why he comes to see this man of god so back in the day israel had their enemies israel had people whom they were constantly fighting with and what happened is whenever the king would go to a battle they will consult the prophets consult the priest just to know that will god give victory what is god's will what is god's plan for this battle now at this time the arameans were troubling israel so elisha gives a prophetic word now this prophetic word that comes from elisha is not just a statement but there is an activity that takes place and the message that elisha delivers comes in two different parts now the first part is from verse 15 to 17 so if you take if we go to second kings 13 verse 15 to 17 elisha says go get a bow and an arrow and some arrows and he did so and then he says take the bow in your hand he said to the king of israel when you had taken it elisha put his hands on the king's hands and when 17 opened the east window he said he opened it shoot elisha said and he shot and the message here is what's the message the lords arrow of victory the arrow of victory over aram so elisha declared saying you will completely destroy the arameans at afik you look at the first part of the prophecy the message is a very exciting one like awesome it's like you are going to do this great news you will have victory over the arameans now the king might have thought okay awesome you know things are going to happen for me people are going to be in my favor because if he destroys the arameans people will support the king more he will gain more points like how it happens in our political world today so they do something nice for the people the people are happy they'll get the votes the next time right so in the same way king thought jehovah thought that awesome great things are going to happen wonderful but then comes the second part and this is where there is a twist in verse 18 onwards elisha gives the second part of the message elisha says take the arrows and the king took them elisha told strike the ground he struck it three times and stopped and what happens is elisha gets angry with him you should have struck the ground five or six times then you would have defeated aram and destroyed completely but now you will defeat it only three times Now I want you to pay attention to this. I'm not going to do a study here but I want you to pay attention. When we look at this it may seem like a contradiction because first time complete victory. Second time only three times. What's happening? Is Elisha contradicting or is God changing his mind? 
What's, what's really happening here? Or did the king do something that causes the message to change? What's happening here? The first message is complete victory. Second message, only partial victory. Victory only three times. Now, to make sense of this message, we must understand this verse in its context. So, if you look at the first message, Elisha asks him to open the east window and shoot. He, sh he shot and there's a positive message. Now, there's a symbolism here. Okay? In the first message, he is opening the east window and shooting towards the eastern side. So back in the day, whenever kings would go for war, before they start the war, they will shoot an arrow towards the enemy's territory, towards the direction of the enemy's camp. And that shows that the war is going to start. It's like a signal for the war to begin. So when Elisha asks him to do this, ask him to shoot towards the eastern side, it is a symbolic message that God is declaring war against the Arameans. Are you with me so far? Or did you? Yes, are you with me so far? It's a symbolic message that God is declaring war against the Arameans. Okay, that's what is happening in the first part. But in the second message, second part, what happens is, Elisha says, take the arrows, strike the ground. Take the arrows and strike the ground. But there is one difference between the first and the second. The first time when the king shot the arrow, he said, what happened is Elisha put his hand on the king's hand and they shot it. But the second time, Elisha did not put his hand on the king's hand. Are you with me so far? If you read verse 15, it says, Elisha put his hands on the king's hand. But the second time, Elisha allowed the king to function on his own. And the command here was strike the ground. Elisha didn't say how many times, but strike the ground. And what does the king do? He strikes it three times. So Elisha gets upset and says, you should have done it at least five to six times. I want you to understand the two different messages that are coming here because as we look at these two different messages, we'll get some valuable lesson. We're going to get a valuable lesson that will help us to understand how we have to live for Christ. You see, the first time Elisha says, open the eastern window, shoot the arrows, that is a call to obedience. He's telling, do this, and it's a call to obedience. The second time, the second message is a call to commit, commitment. Are you with me? The first message is a call to obedience, and the second one is a call to commitment. Now, if you look at the message, and if you look at what Jehoash does here, the first time when Elisha asks him to do something, he does it. And then Elisha says, do it on your own. He didn't do it well. So you can say something about Jehoash. That is, he was a king who was obedient, but not committed. Are you with me? I want you to remember this phrase because that's going to be the title of my sermon. Obedient, but not committed. Now you may ask, how is it possible? How is it possible for a person to be obedient, but not committed? Because we may think obedience and commitment goes together. We may, how is it possible? Let me give you some examples. You see, there are times in life we may be obedient, but not really committed. 
If I have to give you some examples, I can give from the life of Cain and Abel. Now, Cain brought an offering to the Lord and Abel also brought an offering to the Lord. Cain was obedient enough to bring an offering, the first fruits of his, off, of his crops, but he was not committed enough to bring the best of the crops. Are you with me? He was obedient enough to bring the crops, but not committed enough to bring the best of his crops. But you look at Abel, he brought the first of his flock, and also he brought the best of them. So he was obedient as well as committed. Are you with me so far? Let me give you another example. Another example is from the life of Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see that Samuel is telling Saul that God is sending him against the Amalekites. He's saying, go destroy them completely. Uh, verse 2, can we read 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 2? This is what the Lord says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them when they came up from Egypt. Now verse 3, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. What is the message to Saul? Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Saul goes for war, but what does he do? What does he do? In verse 13, Samuel reached him. Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instruction. And then Samuel asks him a question. What is this bleating of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? What is the Lord's command? Destroy completely. But what did Saul do? He kept the best of the sheep for sacrifice to the Lord. So you can say that this man was obedient to go for war, but not committed enough to complete the job. Are you with me so far? You see, you look, you look at Israel, for example, what did God tell them when he brought them out of Egypt? You should destroy the inhabitants of Canaan completely. But what did they do? Did they do it? Did they destroy the inhabitants of Canaan? Yes or no? How many of you say yes, they destroyed? How many of you say no? Some of you are like, Pastor, you tell me the answer. I don't know. I'm just, I still didn't have breakfast today. So my brain is not fully working. <laughs> they didn't. So you can say that they were obedient to enter the promised land, but they did not finish the job, which means they were obedient, but not committed. Now this can happen to us on a Sunday morning, right? We are obedient enough to come to church, but not committed enough to stay focused in church. You get what I'm saying? There is a, a connection between obedience and commitment that we may often miss in our life. We may come to church on a Sunday morning, but may not be committed to attend the Bible studies regularly. Now you're like, this pastor always goes to the Bible studies. I will go there forever because I believe it's important. We may be obedient enough to serve God, but may not be committed enough to give the best for the Lord. Are you with me? We are obedient, but may not be committed. When we look at the story of this king, Jehoash, the first time when Elisha put his hand on him and said, shoot the arrows through the eastern window, he did it, which means he was an obedient king. But you see, oftentimes when God calls you to do something, he will call you to the task 
and then test you if you really do the task. So first time, the king passes the test. The second time, Elisha takes his hand and he says, now you strike the ground. He does it only three times. And then he stops. Which means he stopped short of what God wanted to do through him. Somewhere, this king was soft towards his enemies. Now, whenever God said, destroy this nation, it is because it was God's judgment on that nation. Because they have done something wicked, God had given them time, they didn't listen, and God has now pronounced judgment, and as God's nation, they failed to execute. Now, this can be a part of our life so many times, a sad part of our Christian life, is that we can be so obedient to the Lord, so obedient, but really lack when it comes to commitment. What we end up doing is that we end up being satisfied in the fact that I'm an obedient Christian. I'm just a faithful Christian. I'm a faithful giver. I'm good at doing this. I'm good at singing songs. I'm good at you know, preaching the gospel. I'm good at doing all this. But the real question is, do we do everything with excellence? Or do we do it just for the sake of doing it? If you look at the life of Jehoash, he failed. His life ended up in failure because of three reasons. You look at the life, he was obedient but not committed. And we may wonder why? What could have led this man down that path? I want to share three things about this king that I also want to share with you as and, and ask you to reflect on what you are hearing today. These could be the three reasons why we may also be sometimes so obedient yet not committed to the Lord. The first thing we see about Jehovah's life is that he lacked persistence. He lacked persistence in his life. When you look at the life of Jehoash in, in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 10 and 11, it says like this, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't a good king and not a really bad king also. What he did is that he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which had caused Israel to commit. You see, with every king who came to power, God expected them to destroy idol worship in Israel. But most kings did not do that. That says something. See, instead of walking on the path that leads to truth, they walked on the path that gained people's support. Because if the king destroyed those altars to those false gods, probably they will lose favor with the people. People will get angry at them. So most kings, what they did is they came to power, but they never bothered about the idols that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had set up. And, and you think, think about this, whenever you want to walk in the path of truth, you have to be persistent. To say lies, you don't really have to be persistent because nowadays people believe lies more than the truth. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how people' mindset are wide because every, everyone is into social media, right? And 90% of social media is full of lies. It's full of lies. I, I was reading this, um, watching this video about, uh, about China, where during the COVID, you know, they started off doing a lot of live streamings, like they would sing songs and do some drama. A lot of girls would do that. Uh, but one of the terrifying things that they revealed is that the girls look so different in, on the video than in real life. In real life, what they do is 
they put on some very ugly makeup, okay? So that the filters in the phone can catch that and modify their face. So they may have a round face, but then the filters in their phone will make them look like they have a different face altogether. It's, it's, a, it's a different life. And, and people are so used to lies that nowadays, if you're not persistent enough, people won't hear the truth. So to walk in the path of truth, you need to be persistent. But you look at Jehovah, he was walking in the path of convenience, which means no persistence. If people believe, let them believe. If they don't want to believe, let them not believe. You see, oftentimes we can also find ourselves in a place like that where we lack that persistence. We say it once, we say it second time, and third time we are like, you know, I, I don't care about you. And how many times are we pressing on towards the truth? I look at the life of Paul. So many times when he writes, people oppose him. They oppose his ministry. Why? Because this man spoke the truth. They didn't like it. But never even once did he stop ministering. He went on to speak, even though people put him in jail for that, even though he was flogged for that, even though he was beaten for that. You see, when we lack persistence in our life, we will come into a place like Jehovah was, where he was obedient, but not committed. You know, if you were to look at a life that is obedient, but not committed, that's a very dangerous life. It's a life of convenience. It's just, you know, I'm just going to be who I want to be. Nobody's going to disturb me. I'm going to come to church, but I'm here just for the sake of my just so that I feel good. I, I, I used to go to church like that back in the day. Why, why did I attend church? Not because I really loved God, but because I'm used to going to church. Are you with me so far? It's so easy to be obedient, yet not committed to the Lord. But what God really looks for is that commitment. That is where you see the difference between David and Saul. Saul was a man who was obedient, committed to warfare. He went for war, but he never finished the job. But then comes David. He was obedient as well as committed to the Lord. Because you look at the life of David, he was a man who was persistent. In anything he, he sought the Lord, he was very persistent. He kept asking till things happened. He kept working till things moved in his life. He was always on the path of persistence, but when we lack persistence in our own life, Jesus gives a parable of a woman who, who comes to the ruler for a certain favor, for a certain judgment. The ruler keeps putting her off, putting her off, but eventually what the ruler says is that, let me just do what she asks me to do. We, we look at the Syrophoenician woman you know, she, she goes down to a level where she is pressing for something for her son. Something for a child. Because a child is sick. Jesus is saying, I've come to the Jews. But he's saying, at least the crumbs that fall from the table. At least give me that. Jesus commended that faith and he said, the healing is granted. What you're asking is granted for you. The question we have to ask is, are we persistent in our Christian faith? Or are we just, you know, living life in a very comfortable way. How are we in our life today? Are we obedient and committed or are we just obedient and not committed? You know, we sang the song, Oh Lord, you're beautiful, your face is all I see. 
You see, when you look at this song, it'll remind you of something. It's so easy to worship God, sing songs, and you know, enjoy in His presence. But that's not enough. You have to go out and share about Jesus. But even that's not enough. Live that life in your private. That requires commitment. That is what God desires from you and me today. So King Jehovah lacked commitment because he was he lacked persistence in his life. The second thing about Jehovah is that he was easily satisfied with little things. This is a big problem. It's a big problem where you can become satisfied with the small things that happen in your life and feel like, you know, God has done great things in my life and this is enough. Now I'm ready to go to heaven. It may feel like, you know, something has happened, I've achieved it, I've seen it all, now I just, enough for me Sometimes you're so easily satisfied. When King Jehoash was asked to strike the ground, he struck it only three times. And that itself shows that he was thinking that three victories, more than enough. Probably in his mind he would have thought one victory, enough. Why two, why three, why more? You see, when we take this and compare with some of the mainline churches today, some of the churches today, is that they're so satisfied with just a service. It doesn't matter what happens in the service. It doesn't matter what the pastor preaches. As long as it's, it's within the time limit, you know, the 20 minutes, all good. Easily satisfied. It's just that, you know, they like the tradition. Most of the time, you know, in a mainline church, not criticizing all mainline churches, but they don't understand what the pastor says. They're just happy to see people in church. They're happy to have a Sunday fellowship. Happy to have their Sunday breakfast with their friends. It's so often easy to have those small enjoyments and feel like you are living the Christian life. You experience little victories in life and feel as though you've accomplished great things for God. But to be a Christian takes a lot of commitment. To be a Christian, it takes for you to not be easily satisfied with anything, but keep pressing on. And that is where we come to the life of Paul the Apostle. He says, I press on towards the goal for which Christ took hold of me. When does he say this? 27 years of ministry. Not five years, not 10 years, 27 years plus in ministry. He says, I press on. You see, when a person fully serves God, they wouldn't be satisfied with a few souls, with, with a few things, but they will be going on for more, targeting more. What can I do for the Lord? How can I live even more for the Lord? How can I share about Jesus even more? Not satisfied with little victories. The problem with Jehovah, the reason why he lacked commitment is because he was easily satisfied. Sometimes people will tell you, be a Christian, but not the... Serious Christian. Pray, but don't really pray all the time. Why do you have to fast and pray? People will say, listen, go to church, but don't do all this God thing, you know. Don't talk about God. Just be a good Christian, that's all. Uh, recently, there was a video that came out. About something called as Christianity Light. I don't know if you've watched it. It was by Babylon B. It's a Christian satire organization. They put out a lot of comedy sketches about Christianity. And basically they conclude this video by saying, you can have God and you can also have your sin. Enjoy both. 
That's called the new modern version of Christianity. And uh, they end up saying that this teaching is endorsed by certain preachers. I won't mention their name. And finally, they say this is also endorsed by Satan himself. A very interesting take on how Christian life uh, is nowadays. Just you know, easily satisfied, just a Sunday morning, just do our duty and escape. But there has to be something more because that shows our commitment. Finally, one thing that Jehovah lacked, the third thing that Jehovah lacked is that he lacked faith. He lacked faith. Why was he obedient but not committed? Probably in his mind he would have thought, the Arameans are too strong. What is going to happen? I don't know. I don't know if I can really take victory over them. You see, it's often so easy to believe in God, yet it is so difficult to fully depend on him. It's so easy to believe in God. Yes, God exists. Yes, God is there for me. But are you fully dependent on him? Would you say that there is no one for me other than God? He is my helper. He is my provider. Would you say those words and live by them? For Jehovah, this was a test of his faith. Because it's often easy to limit thinking, saying, okay, this is how much I can do. This is how much I can do. Because they don't look at God and what he can provide, but they just look up to whatever they can do. I remember yesterday I was here, we were practicing, and, and, and this past week has been quite... Uh, hot in Mangalore, right? We're sweating, humidity is high. It's, it's crazy. So yesterday I came to church, I put on the AC, I was like, wow, I'm so glad I've got a, at least a three and a half, four ton AC in the, running in the church. Because for those of you who were here before the AC came, you know that you were getting baked during the sermon. <laughs> it was not a very comfortable uh, thing to uh, experience in a church on a Sunday morning. So, I was so glad. And as I was thinking of it, I, I was reminded, you know, the process of, the full process of buying. Like, nobody knows this. So I raised funds for about, I think, 35 or 40,000. I don't know how much I raised funds for. The funds came in. And then we thought, we got some suggestions. We thought, let's buy another one. So the, so the budget went from 40 to 90. Uh, it's like, like, God, what do I do now? How do I handle it? And I can tell you this, you know, the past three months was such a struggle, such a struggle. And through that struggle, God was really strengthening my faith. Because, you know, the, the AC guy that we buy from is, is a, I've known him for quite some time now. And uh, he gave an option to pay on installments without any interest. So he would call and I'll be like, God, what do I do now? Because <laughs> I have no money to pay him. But I kept telling him, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And eventually, I cleared all the bills. I cleared all the bills. But as I was going through that process, I would look at the amount I have to pay, and I look at what I have, nothing. I look at the church account, nothing. But somewhere I said, God, this is for your house. It is for your name. You take care of this. I tell you the way in which God took care of the whole situation, where we have come to a point where we could have what we have is simply the grace of God. And I can tell you honestly that sometimes my faith has been weak. My faith has been like little weak because I'm always looking at what I have. But then God reminds me over and over again, it is not what is in your hand. It is not what is in your hand. 
to, to, to live a true Christian life, just belief is not enough. Just belief that God is there and for me is not enough. You have to be fully dependent on him like as if there is no other option. I want to challenge you, church, if you can learn to live that life. If you can learn to just depend on him like there is no other option, God will take care of you. God will truly step in to rescue you and help you in every situation. But the moment we set aside God and say, I believe God, but <laughs> let me look for some options. Those options will cause you the greatest loss that will take you a very, very long time to recover from. Because you know something? God will never share his glory with anyone. The Bible says that. The Bible says, I'm not sharing out of my thoughts. The Bible says he will not share his glory with others, which means he will not let you be dependent on others and say, oh, because of this person, this happened. I've always seen this in my life. Whenever I think, oh, this person is a great source of help for the church, two years later, they leave. And I'm like, God. <laughs> it's sometimes, you know, like we had one person in church who is not here today. And all of you know him, right? I'm not going to take a name, but I just want to share this. It's been like my friend, my brother. But one day he said, I'm leaving the church. I was like, why? He gave no answer. I asked him why. I called him for a meeting. I said, what happened? He told me, God asked me to leave the church. I told him, you're deceived. I said, this being delusional, you're not, you know, this is not the Lord leading. But he left. It broke my heart for a week. Two weeks I was struggling with the Lord. Why? Because you see, what will happen is, whenever I finish church, he and I would just sit and talk and talk. We would hang out. But now I finish church and I'm like sitting all by myself. I'm like, God, why? <laughs> it's hard sometimes. But then God teaches you something that there is no one for you than me. There's no one. You see, God wanted Jehovah to understand that Elisha is going to leave. But will you stay committed to me? That is where Jehovah fails. And sometimes young people think that, oh, if I... There was a friend of mine who used to say this. If only I can get married, I can escape out of this loneliness because I feel lonely. I just want to get married. And to be honest, you know something? There are so many people who are married but still feel lonely. So many people who are married, professing Christians <laughs> who feel depressed in their marriage. It's, it's not because the wife is bad but because their thinking is bad. Because you cannot step, in, step into marriage thinking that this person will fulfill me. Only God can fulfill you. Not any man, not any woman. Stepping into a relationship thinking that, oh, I've got my thing. This is what I need. This is all I need and I'm just going to be happy. No. I can tell you that there are challenging times that have come between me and my wife. And those challenging times reminded me that God is my provision. That God is my, is, is my friend. He's there for me. Sometimes, you see, people will get upset with you. One time people will come and say, you know, Pastor, your sermons are so amazing. Another Sunday they will be rolling their eyes when you're preaching. <laughs> what are you going to do? And I often remind myself as I get on stage, I don't preach to please people. 
but I preach for the glory of God. I often remind myself that it is not about what people will do for me, but it is about me being committed to God. So people will come in your life. They will say that, oh, you can depend on me. You can trust on me. I will do this for you. What do you want in the church? You want to buy a microphone? Ask me. I will do this. I will do this. I tell you, no one remains forever. Even if you depend on them, God will pluck them out of the church first. He will never share his glory with another. Elisha, sorry, King Jehovah thought to himself, Elisha the prophet is here, he has given a word now, everything is set. No, no, God says, will you depend on me for the victory? Jehovah lacked faith in his life, lacked faith in a way that he was not able to see the complete victory of God. Joseph Exel, a Bible commentator, said like this, poverty of faith leads to partial success. See, when you have little faith, you will have success, but never a complete one. Never a complete one. Poverty of faith leads to partial success. Now, I wonder where your life is and how your life is today. We may be obedient to follow Christ, but may not be committed enough to live a holy life. That is why there is the small gap where sin comes into our life every week. That midnight hour, something goes wrong. We open doors for sin in our life. Why? Because we are obedient to follow Christ, but we are not committed to live that holy life. Many times we are obedient to believe in God, but not committed enough to depend on Him. I want to leave you with these two things, two thoughts. Are you committed to live a holy life? And are you committed enough to depend on him like there is no other person? We look at the Bible. All these great men of God, Abraham left his house, came in search of what God has promised him. We see Moses, he led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. And he would have thought in his mind, I don't know if these people are going to stone me. I don't know if I'll see the promised land. But you see all these people, you see Noah, you see Abraham, you see the prophets, they all lived by faith. Think about Enoch. You know, the, the revelation of God that we have today is much more than what Enoch had back in the day. The Bible says that Enoch was taken to heaven by faith. He, they, they believed in something they had not seen or fully understood, but they believed, they fully depended on God. Look at the time of Noah. Before Noah's time, the, the, there was no rain on the land because water would come out of the ground and water the plants. That is how rain was. And Noah was preaching saying, God is going to send a great flood. People would have laughed at him. But what did Noah do? He preached. And you know how long he preached? Can somebody take a guess? 10 years? How many of you said 10? 20? 50? 50. Somewhere like, okay, maybe 50. He preached for over 130 years because that's how long it took to build the ark. He preached the same message. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways. God is going to destroy the land. God is going to destroy the earth. Nobody listened. But Noah 
believed because he fully depended on God. I wonder if you depend on God. Sometimes when I talk about faith, people are like, you know, you are in ministry, <laughs> so you need faith. But I don't need, no, no. You need faith in every aspect of your life, whether you're in a business or a job or anything you need, you need faith. You have to depend on Jesus as if there is no one else for you. That is what God wants. That is what God desires from your life. Are you obedient? And also, are you committed? Or are you like Jehovah, who lacked persistence in life, who had a weak faith, who was settling just for the easy things, not going for more? May our life be like what, the Paul, what Paul the Apostle says. I press on towards the goal. And where is he writing that verse from? From a jail cell. What is he saying? I press on towards the goal. I tell you, if we were in a situation like that, we'll be like, God, 27 years, I've planted enough churches, I've done enough for you. Now, I want to come home. But this man says, I press on. I want to go forward. I want to move forward. How is your life today? Are you satisfied with what God has done? Are you satisfied with the blessings that God has given you? Or are you moving forward? Jehovah's thought three times is more than enough. But God's plans are greater. Elisha got, gets so angry with him and says, you should have done it five or six times. It shows the lack of faith that Jehovah had. I pray that our church, each one of you seated here, will be a man and woman of faith, that you'll always be persistent, always pushing forward to the goal. Amen.